and welcome back to The Native and the Transplant. I'm your native, Alex Johnson. And I'm your transplant, Jen Bryant. Jen, another weekend, another episode. I'm excited about this one. I can't believe it's February. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about this one too, actually. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, we've got a great guest coming up. So in this episode, a couple of things that we're going to be going over. First and foremost, just a quick discussion about last week's episode dealing with the Sheriff Candidate Forum for Larimer mm-hmm. County. And then we're going to dive in to, uh, the masks. If you can believe it, masks are going away yet again, coming Friday at midnight. We'll dive into that discussion. And then Bucky's. Bucky's, the convenience store from Texas, is is making its way into northern Colorado. So but before we dive into that, let's go ahead and thank our sponsor for this episode. Sponsor this episode, Alex Johnson, myself, yes, with Aslan Home Lending. So if you have been in the market, you're wanting to be able to purchase that new home, whether it's the dream home or whether it's your first home, or if you need to consolidate some debt, whether it's your high-interest credit cards or whatever it may be, definitely reach out to me at 970 Three again, NMLS one three six eight one four seven Aslan NMLS one eight six eight one two zero. All right, well, let's dive into it. All right, um, okay. So, well, do you want to talk about the debate first? Absolutely. Yeah. So, what did you think of the debate? Well, you know, I actually really like both of the candidates. They're both really nice guys. Being able to meet them in person, um, I will say, both of them had a lot of stuff to had a lot of stuff to say, but. It was inter- it was interesting being there in person, and I'm not yeah. sure if it came through with the audio more so um, than the visual. Is how they how they each so you had Jeff Fisher and John Fan, and how yeah. they interacted within the room, and it was entirely different interactions from John Fan versus Jeff Fisher. Just even in their personal stance, how they were standing there, how they were facing the crowd, how when they would be, you know, they'd be asked a question that maybe they didn't want to answer. The whole demeanor completely changed. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and it was interesting to see, you know, John Fan had a lot of stuff he needed to answer for. And I think that he gave answers that people were satisfied with. I'm not sure I'm totally satisfied with some of the answers. <laughs> uh, and I would like to do some follow-up questions. I think we'll get that chance soon. Yes. So, and I, I've heard back from Jeff Fisher's campaign, and he's going to be on the podcast on the 2nd of March, again, awesome. the day after caucus. And John Fan, I'm just waiting to hear back from him, but he had verbally said that, yes, he will come on. So if we can get both candidates on the podcast to be able to dive into everything that has transpired, and especially seeing it the day after caucus and seeing what everybody had to say during that. But it'll be interesting. And the thing that I do give John Fayen props for is he got grilled on a couple of uh, things in his past, um, just even kneeling at the the BLM uh, event in Fort Collins. And that picture has gone viral. And uh, the fact that he didn't shy away from it and was still able to uh, to answer it and kind of hit it head on. Again, I want to dive into it a little bit deeper than than yeah, what too. he was able to go uh, into on the forum. So yeah, I would I would also like to. Um, but you know, it was nice to talk to both of them, and actually, we met a few other people that we are hoping to have on the show as well. So. Yes. Yeah, um, yes. I believe, yeah, a couple of them. So should be fun. I won't <laughs> yes. drop any names yet. <laughs> that sounds good. We do have a great lineup of guests coming up in, in the next 60 days. So definitely tune in. 
Yeah, looking forward to it. All right, so let's dive into a controversial topic, something that we've talked and discussed oh. quite a bit on the podcast over the last year, especially being the fact that you are a nurse yeah. and you have a different level of expertise on it than a lot of people out there, is masks. And the fact that masks are going away in Lermer County as of 11.59.59 p.m. on Friday. Because COVID's just going to poof, disappear right that moment. <laughs> yeah, just right then and there. So I I have my take, but I want to hear yours first. Well, I think it's probably about time. And I, the reason I say that is because with Omicron, you know, we knew it's not as strong. That's not to say it's not still killing people. And then it's not you know, still spreading, but I'm not sure how effective these masks are against Omicron anyway, number one. And number two, for goodness sake, I think we're kind of at the point where the masks were intended to slow down transmission and we can't slow it down. So what's the point, right? Um, I, I think immunocompromised people and people in high risk areas or high exposure areas like hospitals and things like that are going to need to continue to wear masks. Um, for the record, I think the only ones that are really worth wearing are the N95 or the KN95 masks anyway. So if you're immunocompromised, get yourself a stack of those. Um, but also I think we're kind of at the point where people are so tired of all these mandates and they know that they're not going to be able to keep these in place forever. You got to just pull the bandit off. And yes, yeah, some people probably will get sick, but we also saw a huge, huge spike in all of these cases. And now we're significantly dropping. We still have patient surges for really, really sick people, but those demographics are changing and I don't have any solid information on the demographics right now, but I can come back with that next Perfect. week or whatever. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> um, it's a defined irony moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Truly, it is. When you deal with Tom Gonzalez um, and you deal with the county commissioners and you look at every aspect and every single metric that they put forward to be able to, quote unquote, remove the masks, we haven't hit any of them. I don't know that we're going so to. So there was a total of four that they had in place. And they were, in my opinion, asinine to begin with, in particular with the negative COVID testing rates. Because you have less people testing and the only people that are testing are either sy- symptomatic or are needing a negative test because they're traveling or because they're going to an event or something of that sort. So that number, as far as the overall positive test, it's going to go up. <laughs> well, absolutely. One of the, one of the things that should be noted too is that, um, positive results, people can test positive up to 90 days after they've already yeah. been sick. So who's to say that that's even an accurate number? Yeah. So the other aspect of all of this is dealing with the school districts. So Thompson yeah. School District, my daughters and your daughter and son yep. are in Thompson School District. And I think without Nancy Rumfeld on the board, yeah. they would have kept the face masks. Well, of course, and, err on the err on the side of caution, of course. But but at this point in time, it's far more detrimental to keep the the face masks on our kids than it is to prevent them from getting sick. I'm not and, sure how detrimental it is. I think it, it's definitely an inconvenience, and I think that there are some mental health things that we need to address. But I don't know that it's it's a huge. Most of these kids don't care if their parents don't make a big deal out of it. They don't care. No. I mean, that's my thought on it. And, and, and I think that some people would have an argument against that, but I would agree it's high time. We need to be done with this. Of course, do you remember what I said at the very beginning of the pandemic when they shut the schools down? Was that if we know that we have a pandemic or we have a, we have some sort of virus that's spreading across the entire country or planet or, you know, what have you, we know that the, the little vector is our kids. They <laughs> spread it all. So, 
expect that to be the very first place that if we have to go back into a mandate, mask mandate, it's going to come right back to the schools first because that's exactly where it, it spreads like wildflower or wildfire. It's just like, you know, we had these kids picking it up at school. They didn't get sick. They brought it home to somebody else that was immunocompromised or in that high risk category. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's my thought on it, at least. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. I agree to disagree. Absolutely. Um, just <laughs> seeing some of the reports, you know, um, again, a lot of the people that I've talked to, seeing what has happened as far as the control aspect of the mask, and especially with here in Bertha, Turner Middle School, there yeah. were a couple of teachers that finally got reprimanded because they were forcing the masks on the kids. They were grabbing these kids, grabbing the face mask putting it on these kids face it, it it was unacceptable behavior and so that is the part with the mask mandate that i am infuriated by oh, is because you have so many of the karens and richards of the world that thought that they had some ability and some power over somebody else because of a mask it'll be interesting to see in the coming weeks after the mask mandate goes away is especially within our school district. So both Thompson, Pooter, they have elected to allow teachers to make their own decisions mm-hmm. on the mask. So teachers in particular classrooms can still require the mask. And I'm wondering if there's going to be anything that's going to happen in the coming weeks that is going to create further frustration and further divide between parents, teachers, administrators, all of the above. Yeah. You know, what's going to happen is it's going to flesh out those teachers that were afraid and are still very much afraid of a lot of this stuff. And it, it, it'll also, unfortunately, it's going to, it's going to highlight those teachers that are immunocompromised. I'm sure they'll have a reason if they choose to, or it, we're going to see a lot of fear and a lot of fear mongering, I think. Yeah, and that's the part that I worry about is because we've become so divisive as a society, even here locally, just dealing with masks in school, and yet it has gotten violent. And so that's where we've got to look at it and go, okay, how can we proceed forward for the betterment of everybody? Right. It's very easy to exert control over a divided community. (laughs) Yeah, we've seen that. We've seen that very much in the last two years. Sure, right out there. Um, All right. Well, on a lighter note, have you ever been to a Bucky's? Not once. Not once. So Bucky's is a a large convenience store uh, in Texas. It's a chain in Texas. And Johnstown is getting ready to have the first Bucky's here in Colorado. Yeah. Okay. Some people are super happy. Some people are not. Again, the further divide. You got to love it. (laughs) No, they're part of the issue with it. And uh, at least some of the people that I've spoken to on why they're frustrated is because it's going to be located at Highway 60 and I-25. Well, to the north, you have Johnson's Corner. To the south, you have Love's. I tried to get the statistics on it, and I couldn't find it exactly what I was I was trying to find mm-hmm. as far as the overall capacity and the number of, of truckers, as far as the number of, of the 18-wheelers that are going up and down I-25. And if there is a need to have extra capacity, to have essentially another truck stop, um so that that's something that I'm diving into a little bit because it, I want to know the actual specifics because obviously that that information's out there on why Johnstown approved it. Either that or their truckers feel underutilized with Johnson's Corner and Loves. I don't know. Your thoughts? Well, a couple different thoughts. The first thing I can think of is um, I, I hate to say this, but I know Johns, Johnson's Corner used to be a <laughs> – Family institution in Colorado. And I, have you been be there stable. lately? Uh, have you been there lately? 
It's terrible. (laughs) It's terrible. Okay. There is nothing like coming home from a concert or hanging a night at, you know, a night in Denver, whatever, you know, driving your kids to Denver to go do something fun and stopping at Johnson's corner and having a breakfast and having a cinnamon roll or a slice of pie and a cup of coffee at that counter. But the last two or three times I've been there, I've been so disappointed that I'm eating their food. And I, I know that I'm going to get a lot of booze and hisses for that. <laughs> but here's the thing, man. So that would be Jen, the transplant. And you can yeah. reach out to us at the native dot the transplant yeah. at gmail.com. If you do have any complaints, <laughs> it. I'll, I'll, I'll absorb it. That's fine. Uh, here's the thing. Those cinnamon rolls used to be real good. And now they're terrible. Wow. Obviously they didn't sell the recipe. That's a bold statement there, Cotton. Listen, they are, they're <laughs> mass manufactured. They're, you, okay, here's what I'll tell you. If it's fresh and it's got the cream cheese frosting on it, cause you know, I don't need that paste frosting cause it's horrible, <laughs> right? It's terrible. Okay. If it doesn't have the paste on there, it's got the cream cheese and I'm sitting there with a fresh cup of coffee, I could probably get by. Okay. But otherwise, they're lacking flavor and they're lacking originality. At one time, the Food Network said they were the best cinnamon roll in the country. No. <laughs> okay. And their pies, I'll tell you something, that that chocolate silk pie that they made was so freaking good. And could you go get a banana cream pie slice? Oh, man. Now their crust tastes like cardboard. I had no Jen, idea that talking transplant. talking about Bucky's coming to Johnstown would get you <laughs> I know, it's always about food. as riled up as you did. Well, here's here's so, what I yeah. okay. So that's the first thing is that you know honestly, if you want to hang with the big boys, you better have a good product, okay? Yeah. And if they're a staple of a small town, keep producing the product that you started with. They changed ownership; it's gone it's gone significantly downhill. So either either hang with the big boys, or you don't. Okay. That's the first thing. The second thing, my question would be is, is there any plans? And I know we've talked about the I-25 work and all of that construction in that corridor there. Is there any plans to make that? Because at that intersection is a pretty tight intersection. We're going to have a pretty significant increase of semi-trucks coming in and off the highway on there. I would be concerned that it's really not a safe intersection to increase that amount of traffic there. I've got no issue with them coming in, but that probably is something that needs to be addressed. So in that, that overall interchange is slated for okay. uh, an update. Yeah. Again, this is all part of the I-25 corridor. Um, so section six, section seven, obviously they're finishing up with um, I-25 and 56 right now. You've got all of the construction going on just north of 34. Yeah. You've got 34. They're working on the new bridges and all of that stuff. So that is is the next section, the next phase, is they are going to be working on that. And so looking at it, I mean, we're over a year out from Bucky's being finished and opened and all of that stuff. So a lot of the stuff on I-25 will be into the next phase. Well, the other thing I think the point that I would like to make is that, you know, we have a pretty significant supply chain issue occurring right now across (laughs) the planet, right? And and we have to remember that even if you don't like semi-traffic on the highways, they are bringing all of the goods to us that we consume on a daily basis, right? Trains, trains and semis move more product across this country than anybody realizes. So we have to be able to support that infrastructure if we want our supply chain to continue moving. Yeah. And you can see what happens when truckers stop with what's happening Mm -hmm. up North in Canada right now. So that's a good thing that we'll, um, we aren't going to dive into that right now, but, um, 
it is important to be able to take care of our truckers. Well, and there is one more thing going on in Johnstown that we need to mention. Yes, yes. Um, so it was just announced that the former commander uh, who was with the force for 24 years uh, was arrested for felony um, for felony stalking. And I know you've got more information on this, so why don't you dive in? I do. Okay. So just, uh, our source right now is the Greeley Tribune, just to give credit to the source, cause, um, the, the, obviously the reporter did a lot of the legwork on this. So, um, Aaron Sanchez is a, um, former Johnstown police commander that was arrested because he was accused of stalking. And when you dive into actually what he was doing with stalking, it's rather disturbing. Oh, it is. So the report, um, says that she was being continuously followed by this guy. Um, and that essentially, um, they found, this is so creepy. They found her and her daughter's birthdays saved on his calendar and Google searches of her children's names and where they practice their sports activities. Um, that his GPS on his vehicle continually showed him driving by her house. Um, and, and in the areas that she was in. So she started taking different routes home because she realized this guy was following her. Now, I don't know what their initial interaction was. Um, it doesn't really does not indicate that, but I would suspect that that initial interaction, if, if they divulged what that was, it would probably tell her name and her, all of those pieces yeah. of information. Yeah. She deserves her privacy. She eventually moved because she was being stalked and harassed by this officer. Well, and the fact that you bring up the fact that she moved because they even found pictures of the real estate listing of her old house. Yeah. And he had like all kinds of, I mean, this is creepy. This is creepy. So he did PR bond out on, I guess it was Friday, um, he $50,000 PR bond, so really didn't have to put any cash forward. Basically, no. he just said personal reconnaissance, probably because it's his first charge. But that is very alarming because our officers are here to protect us. Well, and he was fired from uh, Johnstown. He was. What, three, four months ago? Yeah, um, so in September he was September, fired. okay. Yeah, and it sounds like they were probably trying to, trying to make the case against him, and it sounds like they've done a very thorough job. GPS stuff and Google and all of those things. So it take a little while to, to make a case against him, but they did fire him. It wasn't a, hey, we'll see how it goes, buddy. You know, <laughs> we'll think about it, and, and let's talk to some of your friends. <laughs> yeah. Not, not unlike any other. So this, as disturbing as this is, it is... It is nice to see throughout all of the issues that we've had, especially with LPD over the last year, year and a half, mm -hmm. um, seeing a police force actually say, no, we're going to hold you accountable. This is unacceptable behavior. And not only is this bad on you, but you've, this is bad on all of us. And so it is good to see a police force taking action and being able to hold an officer responsible for his actions. 100%. It sounds like the Weld County Sheriff is the office is the one that's kind of handling all of this too. And that makes sense. Being pretty thorough. Yeah. So that's reassuring because that poor lady, I mean, who do you call, right? Somebody's stalking you and it's the police that's stalking you. Who do you call? You call the sheriff's office. Call the sheriff. Yeah. yeah. Darn straight. So that's that was, good news. Yeah. That yeah. was one of the things that even with the forum that, yeah. The sheriff's office truly is our, our last line of defense. And the fact that the sheriff is an elected official, that helps out quite a bit. So, well, both, um, Jeff and John were pretty strong up on those, on those pieces. I think it was interesting <laughs> to see how many parallels they had. Yeah. So both really nice guys. Awesome. Well, let's get into the meat of this episode because this is one that I've been looking forward to and, and excited about. We have a wonderful entrepreneur. 
leader. I don't know all the other descriptors that I should be using on this one, (laughs) but we have Matt Schaup on the podcast tonight. So Matt, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. How are you guys? Doing wonderful. Thanks for coming. Thanks. Yeah. So before we dive into the interview, the first question that we ask every single guest that we have on is, are you a native or are you a transplant? I am a transplant. Moved here from New Jersey 30 years ago when I was 10. Good. Good stuff. So, I forgot about that, actually. And we met not too I, – I was thinking Wait. back. We're Conball Middle School days, so we met at 12, 13, 14, yeah. right? I think 12 so or way 11 back. or 12, yeah. Yeah, way back. I've, no, I've known Matt um, seriously since we were like 11 or 12 years old at Conball Middle School, and we graduated from high school together. You have dirt on me. Uh, a little and bit. I, and I have dirt on you. You have dirt on right? me, too. We have dirt on yeah, each absolutely. other. Absolutely, and our kids. And our kids. Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah, we well, got dirt on each other. But no, we've known each other for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So growing up in, I mean, really growing up here in Loveland or in Northern Colorado or, um, how did that change from growing up in Jersey? Yeah. Moving here, there was, there was a little bit of a culture shock. Um, you know, there's <laughs> just, yeah, New Jersey. I mean, I go, I go back there and it's, it's a totally different world. It's a fast pace, very, very aggressive. And, um, you know, I don't remember too much up till when I was 10, but I mean, you just, you have a melting pot of different socioeconomic and ethnicities and it's, it's a lot more diverse than, than Loveland was. Um, but yeah, when we moved out here, it was, um, it was, it was a lot more calm. I, I just think back <laughs> of how much, you know, Northern Colorado has developed. We talk about the I-25 corridor. Oh, I mean, yeah. I moved to Loveland. We lived off of, uh, 287 and uh, Carpenter Road. Remember the old go-kart track oh, yeah. there? Oh, yeah. And uh, one of the first things I did, you know, I was like shoveling uh, snow, mowing lawns, and then I'd go up to the go-kart track, pull weeds out of the parking lot in exchange for like go-kart uh, bumper bumper car ride tickets. <laughs> and I mean, that's, that's gone, but that was a, that was a staple back then, but that was a, that was a long time ago. Oh yeah. We used to wow. ride our yeah. bikes there from, I, my, mm-hmm. I grew up in Allendale in Loveland yes. and we used to ride our bikes to that go-kart track. And yeah, we would ride our bike from that area, from the go-kart area down, down to orchards, like King Supers. That was oh, the yeah. center of town and 29th, <laughs> 29th street yep. was the strip. And then, you know, you go to Fort Collins and I, I remember, um, Driving to Fort Collins, you cross Harmony, and there was a little sign that just said Timnath with an arrow pointing east. And everybody said, "What's what's Timnath?" They're like, "Oh, it's this farm. It's all the way out there." And now it's Timnath, <laughs> right? So it's yeah. just it's been crazy how much it's developed. I totally forgot about that too. That's mm-hmm. insanity. Yeah. I, I well, because when we moved to Loveland, I, I was like eight, and I think there was twenty five thousand people in Loveland. Yeah. That yeah. it, and now we're at like ninety thousand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, and in the next 10 years, they're expecting all of northern Colorado to double. So that'll be interesting to see what happens as well. So you've been on quite a few different podcasts, and I've had I've listened to some of them. And uh can't say that I've been listened to all of them because you've been on so many. Been on a few. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So um, beginning this year, though, you started – something a little bit different. And as far as um, just with your social media, your daily posts, leadership, and you constantly go back to the subtle art of leadership. Yeah. Take us through that. The, dive in. What what kind of changed or, or why did you start this year um, really trying to just focus? And correct me if I'm wrong, but the way that yeah. I take it is you focus on building people up and you focus on making sure that, hey, you have the strength to be a leader, but you, you also can do it with a, a very soft voice. If that Does that make sense? Or Yeah. 
It does. Okay. I, I would say I'm, I'm really <laughs> leaning into it this year because it's something that I knew I was supposed to be doing. You know, whether you call it, it was a calling, a passion. And I was probably 2015, 2016. I, I knew I was being called back into the uh, leadership, the, the space of, of authoring, writing books and, and speaking. And um, I found out, so I, you know, I grew up in New Jersey and I joke around like I got beat up by girls on the playground. I got severely, extremely bullied. Uh, that was no different moving from New Jersey to here. So like I wasn't the sports kid, uh, had buck teeth and headgear, you know? So like I was, I was a very, very easy <laughs> target. Uh, but I did find, uh, some, some passion and some identity in business as a kid. Like that was the one thing I was good at. So, um, that was always something as crazy as life would ever get. Uh, I could always fall back on that and I knew it was what I was good at. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, going through high school, college years, and then eventually getting into all of the businesses that we have now, um, I would get called to, you know, speak a lot and talk a lot. And it was always about, you know, what did you tactically do to have business success? You know, what kind of uh, marketing, you know, crazy marketing did you do? Um, and, and that was great. That was a fun space to be. And I provided a lot of value for a lot of people that way. Um, but what it really came down to is your your company, your organization, whatever it is, nonprofit, for profit, a business, you're, you're leading just a, just a small group whatever it is, it's just people serving other people. You're, you're pouring into the lives of other people and, you know, you can be tactically good at all of the X's and O's, but if you if you don't understand where you're at with your story and your leadership and your skill set, you can't help other people figure that out. And, you know, a group, a business, it will grow to the degree that, like, in my businesses have grown as I've worked harder and I've worked longer hours and invested more, but they cap out. They don't scale and they don't scale beyond you until you can lead people. So that was really a big transition for me, I realized I, I stunk at leadership. Uh, grew, you know, some very successful companies very quickly, but I had a revolving door. Um, climbed this mountain of, you know, success, financial success, business success, but nobody was hanging around. Um, nobody was inspired by it. I was actually kind of a jerk to work for. Um, and when I realized that, I kind of came back down the mountain and said, you know, I've got to figure myself out, figure my story out, and then start helping other people do the same. If I can have you dive into that a little bit more, as far as what was that kind of aha moment of? For lack of a better term, wow, I'm a dick. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a, and I still can be. Like that's what I. I what well, we. I mean, we know each other, right? Yeah. We were just talking about that. Like I'm, I'm a, a type A, very assertive, very, very aggressive personality style, and uh, yeah, I got, I got a short fuse sometimes. So I've uh, been able to build that fuse out a lot longer. Jujitsu's really helped with that oh, yeah. in, in my oh, life. Yeah. But yeah, no, it was. Uh, yeah, I was a dick. We could say that. I know we could say that on the podcast. I thought we said that. We that is, that is an allowed word here. It's a descriptive word. Descriptive yeah. word. We'll say it. It's That's a podcast. One. We could do what we want. <laughs> so my kids know that uh, I have rule number one. Rule number one is don't be a dick. Yeah. <laughs> love it. I and love it's it. Because it encompasses so many different things. And, you it know, you, when you say don't be a dick, you understand what that means. So, but I want to dive in a little bit deeper of what that yep. aha moment was or what, what led you to that point? Did you lose a couple of employees that you, you were just like, why are, why is this happening or what happened? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't this, oh, I remember March 3rd of, you know, 2015, this happened. I think it was just the like small paper cuts, right? It was the, this culmination of repetitive, um, you know, the business was growing. 
winning awards, getting all of this recognition. I, I was. Right. But other people weren't. And, um, you know, people that I look back and I think, hey, these, these guys, these gals should have stayed here with the company and, and they didn't. But, um, one of the things I do, I speak about, uh, you know, your leadership language, your personality mm-hmm. style. I am very type A in your face. Like I can be scary. I'm very intense. So there weren't a lot of people that could just tell me, hey, you're a dick. You're a jerk. Um, so they would just leave. They would be quiet. They would leave. They wouldn't say anything. And, um, there, there was, uh, you know, some, people and interactions, uh, people in my life that said, Hey, did anybody ever tell you that, you know, when this happens, you get really aggressive to the point of being like really scary to work for. Um, and I said, no. So there was people that would, you know, that, that I respected that I had that space. Cause if, if I didn't know them or respect them, they go, you're a dick. I go, oh, great. You're a dick too. See you later. You know, we don't <laughs> talk anymore, but no people I respected, um, would, would share those things with me. And I think for me, just unpacking my story of like where I've come from and, and why I would respond and uh, behave that way. I didn't have bad intentions. It was all with a good heart, but it, mm-hmm. it manifested to the surface as, as seeming that way. Um, but I did for a long time. Like I had a lot to prove as a, as a young kid getting into the business world. Hey, I got like M and D painting started because I got fired from a bank. I literally had a hundred dollars left to my name. Bank president, you know, new guy comes in suit and tie says, put all your stuff in a box and get out and literally threw me out in March of 2005. So, you know, on top of being angry and upset at life and having a lot to prove. Now this, this guy tells me like this guy had this much control of my future and my finances. He fires me. So like, I literally remember having all my stuff in a banker's box, stepping into the parking lot saying, I'm never, I'm never going to wear a tie again and I'm never going to work for somebody again. So from March of 2005 till end of 2007, it was just, it was just work. And if you worked for me, like you work for me, you do what I tell you you're a cog in the wheel, you produce or you leave kind of a thing. And I had a lot to prove. It was like pay off debt, get above water, become a millionaire, do all these things. And nobody was going to tell me a whole lot of anything back, back at that point in my life. I was 23 to to 25 years old at that time. Got it. Yeah. So that back when I wasn't hearing it, I wasn't (laughs) hearing anything those years. Nobody was telling me anything. Well, in in your early twenties, that's when you still know everything. So, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love love meeting one now, and I'm like, I remember, I remember that guy that used to used to know everything. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's interesting because you are very open about the story that you just shared. You on even your your website at mattshop.com. That's up there, and that's something that I've yep. heard multiple times just throughout the last uh, the other podcasts that you've been on. Is it was it always like that, or was it was there a change that you were freeing and saying, "Hey, I came from less than nothing. I had to to swallow my pride and be able to get to where I need to be, so that way I can I can not only take care of my family but also help others." Yeah, the the. The, the winning parts of the story, right? The positive parts of the story that everybody always wants to hear, you know, the, the A plus five star, oh, you know, rags to riches, nothing to, you know, way, way more than nothing. That, that was always shared. But I think what I really got in touch with, you know, over the past seven to eight years is, um, your, your worst stories, you at your worst moment, those are actually the, the best stories that you can share when you're vulnerable and you talk about, uh, where you've come from, your, like your real struggles, the real things that you've had to deal with and, um, how those make you better. Um, just this, the, the world, right? You go, everybody's plugged in. We were talking about kids around, oh, we're going to take their phones to punish them. They're so plugged in oh, social media. Yeah. And what's on social media? 
life's great, life's awesome, everything's A+. plus. You don't need yeah. to work hard to get to where you are. Um, and everybody wants, like as humans, we want the quick, fast way to success, right? What is the, the easy six-step process to lose weight, make a million dollars where I don't have to work? And, and people are peddling that crap, like. All, all over the internet. Oh yeah. And it's so, so like we, we want that, but humans really connect in our, in our worst moments, you know, like we were having yeah. great conversations about like, Hey, here's what our families are going through. Here's yeah. what our, our kids are going through. Here's what the people we know we're going through. And that's what, mm-hmm. that's what builds you. That's what makes you. That's what really builds your, your character. Well, I think that that's interesting that you say that because essentially you're looking at, here's the, the worst moment of your life or the worst that people have seen you at, and it's how you react to that and how you build from that that actually exhibits what your character actually is. It, it is, and there's two ways to look at it. You could anybody could look at their worst moment and say, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm just going to kind of keep this in the corner over here, bury it, and we'll just keep, yeah. you know, looking like I'm the great successful business person, leader, whatever, whatever that is. But um, you know, everybody will get found out at at some point. So when I realized that my story and some of the you know, the, the ugly parts of it, right? I say there's treasure in the trash, right? Everybody's got pain and bad moments in their life. But if you can pick that up and, you know, dust it off and clean it off, there's value there. There's lessons there that you can share with other people. So like when I started realizing that, that certain parts of my story can impact other people's lives to make it better, um, it was, it became more easy to share. Like it's always, you know, it's always a little scary to share those things, um, but, but it, but it helps people ultimately. Yeah. So take us into business. So obviously March 5th or sorry, March of 2005, you get fired from the bank. Yep. And you start M&E painting. I did. Yeah. So, and then now that has transitioned into eight different businesses that you have. We we have eight companies. Eight companies. Okay. So painting. So (laughs) I love your story on the fact that you uh, were a painter in, in college and you're like, hey, this is a good gig and made a bunch of money, did all of that stuff and then didn't want to ever go back to it. And then Correct. on, I believe it was the eventual millionaire, you had made the comment that you suck at painting. Always have, always will. <laughs> yeah, always have, always will. So how do you own a painting company? <laughs> it's interesting. So if you read uh, Michael Gerber, E-Myth, and you talk about him, you know, met a lot of business owners where they have a, a, a trade or just a, mm-hmm. a tactical thing they're good at. And they go, well, that's, that's great. You know, I'm really good at this. This is my hobby. I love doing it. So I'm going to quit my job and start a, start a business. And now they realize, well, you've got to still be doing your, your art, your craft, say painting, but now you've got to learn about business, sales, marketing, people, accounting, all, all of the, the bits and pieces and, um, not being good at painting. Like I catch grief for it. You know, I remember back in the day, you know, walking into the paint store and I'm just some, some, some punk 22 year old kid and there's these, 30, 40 year old fourth generation painters like wanting to fight me in the paint. So, oh, you don't know how to paint. And I'm like, you know what? I don't, but I know about business. I know, I know about marketing and people and communication. And I'm just going to outwork and out hustle you and we'll see where everybody's at in 10 years. And I didn't really think too much about it, but, um, it, it, it was one of the greatest gifts for me not being good at painting because I, I don't get pulled into it anytime somebody would pull me hey Matt can you come help finish this job well I can help you but it's not it's not gonna go well you don't want me to um, do that and you don't and you don't need to be good at the uh you know the the trade or the craft or the the technical product at hand I mean, to, to build a business you do need to to understand it right to be able to talk about it and um people will respond to that there'll, there'll be painters listening to this still that still think you know hey this guy doesn't know how to paint so he's not worth his salt okay it's cool you know, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> so how did you go from <laughs> M&E painting to now eight different companies? 
So M&D painting took off fairly quickly. And, and to give uh, credit in, in college, I was approached by a college painting company. So I, um, you know, got my work in college learning about the business. And, and you had mentioned, like, it's not a sexy, glamorous business. It's dirty. It's hot. It's seasonal. It's in the summer. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a, it's a trade. It's a blue-collar trade. And, um, uh, you know, I worked those four years not thinking I'd stay in the business because, you know, 20, 22, 23, like shiny objects. I wanted to make a lot of money. I got pulled <laughs> into the mortgage business. That's where I got fired from, uh, by a guy that was making a lot of money. And that was, that was very appealing. But, um, when I, when I got fired from the bank, my initial thought was I need to make $2,800 in, in 28 days. Uh, we had just purchased a, a condo. The bank actually paid me, right? So I, I gave the earnest yeah. money, got more money back. I was, it was over leveraged. I was upside down yeah. immediately. Uh, my wife, Emily's working part-time at an elderly uh, respite care facility. So she's making kind of our, uh, you know, food and fun money. But I had to cover the mortgage, uh, my car loan, all of the yeah. debts that I had yeah. incurred. You know, people ask now at events, oh, did you marry Matt for his money? It's like, no, I had, <laughs> no. I had less than none and she had like $2,200. Yeah. <laughs> so I married her for, for her money. Um, but but Emily started taking off really quickly. I didn't think I'd stay in the business. I said, you know, I'm going to. I'm going to go do this painting thing yeah. to hold us over. And then we did, you know, quite a bit of business the first year. So our financial situation really turned around. I was introduced to like, I was poor with money, obviously, and money management, but I got turned on to Dave Ramsey mm -hmm. and David Bach and a lot of other uh, financial thought leaders. And we just decided to, you know, really go after it and pay, pay down and pay off debts. And then uh, my personality style, again, I get bored very easily. So a lot of these businesses we have, like I'm really good at generating an idea getting people behind it, putting tons of energy into it, launch like launching the rocket ship for about two to three years. It takes off. And then there's that critical point where, you know, you're building customers and business and revenue base, and then it starts getting real shaky. I am awful at uh, long-term management, uh, strategic thinking, dotting I's, crossing T's. So, so every business that's done well for me, I, I launch it, I get it going, and then build a team around it to to keep it going and then to have it grow past me. So really the next business, I, I got into a little bit of business. If I can pause you for just oh, yeah. a minute, how, how long did that take you to understand that, hey, this is what I'm good at, but I suck at this? Did you have any failures or did you start to see a decline or anything that said, you know what, I need somebody that they have this expertise? The first seven to eight years of business, I would I would not realize that and I would just compensate for not realizing that by just working harder. I go, you know what, if this, this person can't do it, they can't do it as good as me, I'll, I'll just go do it and I'll just work yeah, harder okay, okay. and work more. And, and in the sucking at leadership aspect that you asked about, you know, when people are saying, hey, do you realize that like you can't, you shouldn't be doing everything in business and you, you just hired this person to do this job. You gave them a role. You mm -hmm. gave them the rope to go out there, some, some space and some bandwidth and you didn't like what they were doing because you're a control freak. It's got to be your way. And then you went and hung them with that rope and then did it. And so you just totally disempowered them. Yeah. And, and I just, I didn't realize that, that I was doing that. So, um, once, once I did, you know, for me, again, my personality style, I talk about a lot about this in leadership. Like I'm a grab the wheel, hold on to the wheel. Like I don't let people drive in the car. Like I, I drive. And when Emily drives, I'm telling her how to drive. That's just, that's how, <laughs> that's how I'm wired. Uh, but when I realized that in, in business and I was able to uh, take the hands off the wheel, put, you know, other people in charge of things and then let them, let them make decisions and let them make the wrong decision and then celebrate the fact that they made a decision and that I didn't have to be a part of it. That's when things really started taking off. Hmm. So okay. how do you cultivate your leaders then when you, you hire somebody that you know is going to, 
take care of the one, say one of those eight businesses? How do you cultivate them? So each, each and every business that I've had. So from M and D painting, the next official business that uh, we founded, um, if you remember David Sword yeah. from Loveland, uh, we were eating at Qdoba one day. We had just semi gotten kicked off an interior paint job because we were great at interior painting. And we told a customer, Oh yeah, we can patch that drywall texture. Oh, right. Yeah. A little, you know, the doorknob went through. Filled the hole. We can get the spray can stuff and patch that. And we went and got the spray cans. Those things were awful. Yeah. And customer got upset. So we're literally sitting there like defeated. We lost money on this job. And uh, he and I take out a napkin and he starts sketching out this um, this idea. He said, if you could build a tool like this, it's basically a, a stencil. Um, you could repair the texture without having a spray can. You could literally put it on the wall, spread your your texture, your joint compound, peel it off. It would be perfect. And I jokingly said, "Hey, if you can find a way to technically make that, because he's the um, you know he's the scientist, right? The, the very methodical, uh, yeah. the brainiac, and I'm the sales guy. So I go, if you can make it, I'll sell a bunch of them. Yeah. And uh, we founded Rai Rai, uh, which we're the makers of the pirate patch. So that was a, that's been a ten year journey of you know getting a patent, mm-hmm. figuring out supply chain and manufacturing and wholesaling and retailing and selling on Amazon. And we actually have uh, I, I can share. Uh, we do have a company that's reached out to us and made us a, an offer to purchase it. So um, that's probably going to turn into something that, that that is a pretty cool story. Mm-hmm. That was the next business. But, you know, with, with David and I, what we realized when, when we were really jamming on the businesses, he said, like, stay in your lane. Matt, your sales, your marketing, go out, sell and market this thing. I'm going to do the research, the development, sourcing mm-hmm. the vendors. And, you know, we each did that and focused on that. And we weren't, you know, he wasn't checking in on me. I wasn't checking in on him. And I think sticking to what you're good at and staying in your lane is, is a huge thing in, in business life, anything. I would think that would take a lot of trust. It, it does. I mean, not that yeah. I'm a type A personality at all. Uh, I'm actually kind of on the opposite end of the, end of the spectrum, honestly. But um, as far as business goes, I, I I would have a hard time trusting that somebody's going to stay in their lane and do what they're supposed to do. <laughs> well, and I think tr- trust in business. I mean, you yeah. are you are leaving your your resources and the things that the people mm-hmm. you're serving. Right, you're leaving your client and your customer base, uh, your finances, uh, everything that you've invested into a business. You're putting that in the hands of somebody else, so there has to be a level of, of trust there. That's true. And then, if you're naturally not a trusting person, say you come from an experience and background where you just have a very low level of trust, then that's going to be really hard. And that's where I was for for a bit. Got it. Interesting. So, when did you dive into more the leadership side and teaching? You know, I've always been asked to you know to speak and to teach and to coach. But I would say it got it got pretty serious about four to five years ago, and that was really where that transition was. Like I, I love coming in, and I'll talk about the ABCs of business. But I, I got asked to come in and either speak about kind of the ABCs of marketing or talk about um, our culture because we had won uh, top workplace. I think it was 2012. Inc. Magazine and winning workplaces named us like a top workplace in, in the country. That was a it was a big award. It was a national award, and you know I was speaking a lot about business execution. And they said, why don't you come in and just talk about your people and your culture and what you've mm-hmm. done? And I had never been challenged or asked to think about those things. And then I started writing some notes down and I, and I went to the team and I said, Hey, like, why, why are we a top workplace? Why do you 
decide to work here and then, and then they started sharing. Um, and the, and the biggest, uh, you know, common theme was they're like, Matt, you've been focusing on, you know, personally growing and getting better and being less of a dick. And you're realizing <laughs> that you are, and you're letting people speak into your life and you're mm-hmm. trusting more and you're improving as a person. And we see that and, and we know, like, they know I'm not perfect. I'm way better than I was last year. I'm way, I'm a totally different person than I was 10 years ago. And they saw that and they were attracted to that. And that's why they wanted to stay around. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we have a saying, uh, pour into people and it's all about like, I have a responsibility and a duty to feed families and invest in people's mm-hmm. lives. There's the financial responsibility. Um, but you know, somebody comes in, they're having a bad day. You can't separate life from business. Mm-hmm. Somebody just has a blow up fight with their spouse. They come in the office. We're supposed to go work on a marketing campaign and like somebody's bawling their eyes out in their office. I'm going to stop and we're going to, we're going to dig into that and see how we can help. So there's a, there's a big responsibility as a, as a leader, as a business owner to care for your people, elevate them and, and give them opportunities to make their life better. That's fantastic. It's a huge deal. You have a, um, another love, Spain. Take yes. us, <laughs> I take, do. take us through, That's uh, what Emily calls it. She's <laughs> called it my mistress on, on occasions. <laughs> okay. Didn't realize a country could be a mistress, but hey, to each their own. Yep. Um, take us through Spain. So you, it, you went over while you were in college and now it is a, a big aspect of your life. It is. I was actually just up at CSU today speaking to a, a senior capstone class in the, in the Spanish department. So, I, um, naturally took to Spanish and I was, I actually moved briefly to Fort Collins in eighth grade. They started Spanish a year early. And I don't know if you remember this cause we were in high school together. Yeah. Um, but I, I did Spanish one in eighth grade. So then when I moved back down to Loveland, came to Loveland high, they didn't start Spanish one till, till ninth. Yeah. So I was always a year ahead. So I, I just, it was, it was very mathematical the way it worked in my brain. So I, I picked it up and uh, started speaking it a lot. Ended up over at Mary Blair Elementary translating parent teacher conferences. And I don't even it, remember you doing that, but that's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah it was, cool. um, you know, senior year. There's no, there's no classes. And I think I followed, um, I had nothing to do. And the guidance counselor says, you have to put something in your schedule. And there was a, a cute cheerleader in the office. And I said, well, what do you do? She's like, well, I do elementary tutoring. I said, what school do you do that at? Mary Blair. I said, sign me up for Mary Blair Elementary. <laughs> Elementary tutoring, and I was over there running, you know, running copies and, and doing oh, yeah. legwork for the teachers. And then one day the phone rings, and it's a Spanish-speaking family, and the you know the gal at the front desk just you know, she doesn't she, she Panic, has that yeah. help. And does anybody speak Spanish? And I jumped on there, and they said, "Wow!" So I started uh, doing translating and really diving into Spanish. So the you know leading into CSU um, came in there with some credits already from AP and, and high school. And I had a Spanish professor. This is where I was today. It's uh, Maria del Mar. She's a, a, a gal, a good friend of mine now from Southern Spain. And, okay. um, you know, she studied abroad here, met an American, settled down, and she was just getting her teaching career started back when I was 19. So I had a Spanish culture class, decided I was going to at least minor in it. At CSU, and I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was doing the college painting thing, yeah. going to Spanish class and doing what college kids do. And she, she kind of bugged me and cornered me and pulled me aside after every couple of classes. Hey, have you ever thought about, you know, study abroad? You seem so interested by my country. Hey, did you know about this in my country? You should go see my country. And then she started appealing to like a 19 year old, 20 year old male. Mm. Those beautiful women <laughs> in southern Spain, sangria. There's, you know, all of the typical, stereotypical things. And oh. I was just at a point in my life where it's like, hey, I'm either going to come back and just do the, the routine, the same thing, or I can pay in state tuition. Mm-hmm. 
finish my minor, turn it into a major and just have an experience. I had never been away from home or really been away from the nest per se. So I literally on a whim signed up, got the visa, got the passport. And a couple months later, yeah, landing in Madrid, little suburb right outside of Madrid. And it was the best experience of my life. It was one of the most challenging crazy experiences you're out of your comfort zone everything's different i mean everything the big things the little things there's this culture shock um became completely fluent in the language and just fell in love with with everything about it but i told somebody the other day if i would have done this in poland we'd be having you know instead of spanish coffee here at the podcast we'd be enjoying something from poland it was just it was a time in my life where i think whatever it would have been that i decided to do it it really impacted me so. Well, you're kind of an all-in guy, though. I, I mean, yeah. it's, I, I could see how it would impact that. I have a friend of mine you need to meet. Okay. It's from Spain. Cool. So, and love he would it. love to have a cup of coffee with you, honestly. Nice I, guy. I love coffee. And um, I told the class today, there's kind of three groups of people if you want to uh, maybe maybe stereotype them on a study abroad experience. And, like, I almost came home because everybody tells you you're going to have culture shock. You know, they eat at different times. Mm-hmm. The accent's different. They kind of set you up knowing what you're going to experience that's different. But then there's things you don't realize that, that are going to be yeah. completely different, even just little things. But um, you're, like your brain is on fire. You're hearing all of this language that's foreign, and it's just it hurts your brain, and you're homesick. <laughs> and I considered coming home. There were some kids that are like, I'm not doing this. I'm coming home. So there were those people. They just left. They missed the experience. There was uh, the majority of the rest of the group. They actually stayed there. They knew everything was going to be different, but they wanted to stay American and be American in Spain. Oh. So they all hung out. They all spoke English. They kind of poo-pooed the Spaniards and their culture. I'm like, you're in their country and you're, and you're, you're crapping on them. And yeah. they, they all hung out and they didn't experience. They complained the whole time and they had a poor experience. How long was your study abroad session? Four and a half months. Four and a half months. Okay. And, and about a month in, I go, I'm either going home or, like you said, going all in. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I, I became kind of that third group. And it's rare. I ditched everybody. I ditched all the Americans. I said, awesome. I'll see you guys back at CSU. Like, there were 17 of us that came over. You'll see first couple months we're all together in the in the plaza in Madrid. And then by the end, it was me and another guy, Justin. And, you know, I met Spanish friends. We traveled all over and just really dove into the culture um, it's, it's, you know, leadership, right? Like you get pushed out of your comfort zone and you either embrace it or you, you pull back and you just say, you know, I'm going to stay where I'm comfortable and then you'll never grow. Like that would have been the worst decision I ever made in my life if I came home yeah. or stayed there and complained about this other beautiful culture that I had the opportunity to enjoy. I think that's the best part about traveling anyway, is really finding those little off the beaten path cultural yeah. experiences. Yeah. 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 So and you head back to Spain on a fairly regular basis, correct? Yeah, I go back every year. Um, you know, I actually was planning to go back after study abroad in 2002. I met Emily that summer and uh, oh. fell in love with her. I mean, the second I met her, I'm going to marry this girl. And it, it, you know, she didn't think the same and it took her longer to <laughs> reciprocate. Um, but yeah, no, we settled down in Fort Collins and, and she knew that was, um, you know, I told her, I go, hey, this is a, a big, a big thing, a big passion. And I don't think she realized until um, we went over together in 2005 and she was able to see like, here's the, here's yeah. the places I spent time. Here's the people I have really relationships with, um, you know, kids were born. I go over with one of the kids kind of alternate each year. You know, I've been back probably 20, 25 times in the last, you know, decade. It's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, no, tw- two, two decades actually been 20 years. I'm 40. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. It was this we're, year. We yeah. We're 40. Oh my gosh. I know it's horrible. Isn't it? I'm going to be 41 in June. Yes. Awesome. Oh, it's terrible. 
I don't know. <laughs> no, actually, forty's great. I, I have zero complaints about my forties thus far. I'm loving forty. Yeah, I think it's cool. <laughs> so, in, um, <laughs> sorry. So, That's getting good. back to to Spain, you mm-hmm. are taking a group of leaders to Spain to experience the culture, to experience. Yes. Take us through that. What what is the goal with this trip? Yeah, so I'm doing the trip twice. I leave in a couple of weeks with all of the leadership team at our companies. So we have a holding company that effectively owns all of the companies that, that okay. I and my partners have started. It's Sevilla Holdings. So we have a core team of, of 10 people. And my dream's always been, like, you know, I, I love coming back and sharing. I bring you coffee. I come back. I cook paella for people. I've always loved sharing the culture with people. But we we started joking about six, seven years ago, oh, let's all go to Spain one year, Matt. You love it. We, maybe you should pay and take us there. And I go, maybe I will someday. You know, dare me enough and I, and I might. And uh, we were planning to do it right before COVID just yeah. as an experience. Like, guys, let's just all go over there and, and experience it together because it. You, yeah. you, you, you'll never understand the passion I have unless you go over and experience it with me. That's what I told somebody uh, years ago. Um, paralleling to that is all of these leadership lessons. I wrote a leadership program. It's called The Gentle Art of Leadership. So as I've been teaching that and implementing that mm-hmm. here, we decided to combine everything into something called the ultimate immersion experience. So for, for me to learn Spanish, for me to really learn business, for anybody to do anything, you can theoretically read it out of a book. But when you're immersed in it, right, when you're immersed in situations, challenges, experiences, and places where you're out of your comfort zone, you're going to be really challenged to define who are you, how do you react under stress, yeah. where do you come from, what do you value. So this whole program is being implemented with with our team, and then we're going to bring a different group in September um, of business owners and business leaders that you know are paying to go over there. So it's become you know, kind of a fun business product per se. But just such a passion, like it's, I'm all in on this and we're investing a lot of time, energy, money, just, just my heart and souls in it. That sounds awesome. Honestly, it sounds like, you know, this immersive sort of retreat on how to be better at what you should be really good at already. And and they do about 20 to 30 hours of pre-work leading into it. So there's, there's a lot of work where they're really digging into who they are and why they're doing what they're doing. And then we have very intentional, like right now I'm, I'm almost finished planning for, for March, but there's 14 experiences. So it's culture cuisine. Like you're going to experience, you know, like like it would be a trip going there. And then there's challenges. So think, uh, amazing race. A little yeah, bit, yeah, yeah. right? Combined okay. with some leadership, where Fun. it's really going to push people, and um, they're going to they're going to be moving. I mean, every waking hour, there's something intentionally planned for. We're together 168 hours, right? Like seven seven days times 24 hours. So did you program in or did you plan naps for these yeah, there, participants? There's planned sleeping. There's planned. There's planned uh, team time, alone time. Oh no, it's uh, like I'm. I'm it's excellent. Uh, it's it's cool. Yeah, you have to be very intentional with something like that, or it would just be a seven day vacation. And um, that's not the point. Yeah, no, yeah, be a little bit of that, cool. but but not not all of it. That's awesome. You can definitely hear your passion about it, and it's yeah. it's cool when you meet somebody that is so passionate about. A different culture, a different idea, a different understanding. It seems that we get so bogged down in just the day-to-day BS that it's refreshing. Yeah, and, and there's a whole other world out there. You know, like you guys are talking about the um, just everything going on and everything. So everybody's divided. You know, are you left, right, mask, no mask, vax, no vax? And it's like, guys, everybody stop that. Like, let's all <laughs> find something to come together on to unite on just some like, like, Hey, let's have a cup of coffee. We've got our coffee bar, right? It's another thing we're doing. It's like, just, I don't care about all that. I don't want to talk about all that. I want to know how we can relate 
what we have in common, how we can make each other's lives better. And, um, you know, I told you, like, I don't want to talk about politics. I don't want to contribute to any conversation yeah. that's going to divide anybody any, any further. You know, um, I've been in environments, toxic environments where that's just the, um, that's the MO. That's the MO of people. You yeah. know, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't help make the world better in my opinion. Well, it kind of leaves that, that stress in the pit of your stomach sort of feeling in those environments like that. And so I actually want to ask you about the cafe. It's cafe Sevilla. Sevilla. Yeah. Well, yeah. hold up. Cause that is the last section. Oh yeah. Section. That is the last that section. Is the last isn't section. It? Yeah. Jumping ahead of the schedule. <laughs> well, I'm like, really enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So going back to kind of what you just said, that's something that we deal with an awful lot, just even on this podcast, because yeah. we do get political. Um, we do talk about, uh, all sorts of different things that are happening within Northern Colorado. And unfortunately, a lot of it is very divided. Um, but then also even when we have guests on and the fact of people on one side are far more eager to come on and have an open conversation versus the other side. And that's one of the things that Jen and I don't see eye to eye on everything. And that's I part of the reason. On the <laughs> and some of the other well, I'm right. So no, and, and she's right. Yeah. <laughs> and, no, it's yeah, we don't, but that's part of the reason why we have the podcast that we do is the native and the transplant. And it came from just a simple idea of my elder, my eldest sister and I are four years apart. And if she and I growing up in the same household with the same parents, same basic situation, just four years apart, can think very differently on politics, on religion, on you name it. Imagine your neighbor. Imagine somebody who just moved here. Imagine somebody who moved here from Spain or you going over to Spain right. and how your different life experiences truly ingrain in you different core values and, and being able to have a simple conversation, being able to sit down and have a cup of coffee can change the entire dynamic. Yes. It can, and it does. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it, it's even gone so far as we've had guests that have canceled an hour before they were supposed to come on because they wanted, like, non-disclosure agreements and all kinds. I'm like, we're a podcast. What, how does that – I'll beep out whatever you don't want to say on air. That's fine. But really? Because are you so afraid that what's going to come out of your mouth is is the opposite of how you want to be represented? Right? And is it that controversial? And if it is – we got to sit down and talk about it. Right. But you saw, we, we don't really argue. We'll have, we agree to disagree. We've had guests on before that. I've said, I, I, I can think of one where I said, I really appreciate your opinion on that. I think you're totally wrong, yeah. but I'm really glad you were willing to say it. And I'm sitting here you watching where we're, you guys are having a disagreement about the masks, but it's like, you're yeah. both, you're both smiling. We're sitting around a table <laughs> yeah. right now, a really cool <laughs> studio. And you said, Hey, like you very kindly said, yeah. I disagree with that. And you said, awesome. Like you've got your opinion. You're, you know, everybody's watching their own movie, right? Everybody yeah. has their yeah. own lens and their view of the world, their model of the world and based on experiences and where they come from. Yeah. And, um, what I see in culture is, um, like, like I'm from New Jersey, right? Yeah. 30 years ago, if you look at the dynamic of social media, right? You take that off the table 30 years. If 90% of what people write and post on social media, they would never walk into a room, a bar, a restaurant, uh, whatever, with those people physically there and say what they say. Agreed. Um, social media has given, uh, it's created a platform, very beneficial platform, right? You can grow your business. I mean, you, mm -hmm. you can do very positive things, but it has completely made uh, bravery disappear and accountability to who you really are and what you're really going to say. So yeah. 
like whatever I'm saying here on this podcast, I'll, I'll say it to you two here, to a thousand people at a keynote, to 10 people in a small group, to my team. And I, my filter is whatever I post on social media, I better be ready to say it and answer to it and about it in front of those people. Cause like in New Jersey, yeah. um, you get punched in the face. Some of the things that I've yeah. had people say, you know, text message or Google review, oh, like, yeah. really, you, would ne- you would never say that. And, and we were in a culture where that's the norm. Like our kid, we're talking about our kids, like mm-hmm. they're growing up with that. And, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not encouraging violence. I'm not telling anybody to go hit somebody in the face, but it's, it's like, you can't talk to people like that. You can't go on and post these things and not be held accountable to that. It, it's crazy. That no. piece right there. Well, and it's funny because I'm very intentional about what I post on social media. I, I make it a point. It's just like if I'm going to say something about you behind your back, I will or already have said it to your face. And I know you have because I know you. Yeah, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll tell me, right? Yeah. I know where I stand with you. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't mess around. But I, same thing with social media. It's really funny because I had somebody, I put something, I responded to something. And I said, hey, listen, if you if you need anything, you just give me a call. You got my number. I'll, I'll send it in my messages. Make sure you got it. And somebody posted underneath there. I think that's th- that's the first time I've read something like this online that I actually know you will do that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because yep. if I say I'll do it, I'll do it. Right. And I think that that's the key with our kids too. And even like social media and the bubbles and everything, everybody's in their own little social media bubble and they're living in that little world. Yeah, It's so bizarre. I don't know. It makes it hard. So how does that change the overall dynamic when you're teaching the next generation of leaders and through your gentle art of leadership, how does social media, how does, especially the last two years and everything that we've been through as a society, how does that impact your program? So, so the program, I, I tell people it's uh, all of the lessons I've learned from being really poor at, at leadership. So a lot of it is my, my failures and my hangups and things like that. So, uh, you know, I really, I start, I start, I start the program. It, it, it's a very deep exploration of your story and who you are. But I've, I've found that if I walk into a company, I went into a, a painting company in Orlando. I was out there for a full day and I opened up with that. Hey, let's explore our stories. And they're like, Whoa, who is this guy? Like, who are you? Who am I? We're not going to talk about that. So I actually open it up now with, uh, I am uh, certified in implementing disc personality surveys and and human motivator index. So I go out and I do a lot of leadership workshops just to help you understand how and why do you behave the way you do? How do you observably behave? What is your personality style, your leadership language, your, your accent, right? Cause you can just be off just a little bit in, in a communication or an engagement. So I open up with people just understanding who they are and how they're wired. Um, but you know, to answer the question, getting really digging into, to who you are and what you stand for and why you stand for that, right? I think it's easy, you know, social media, it's easy to go on and post something or fall in line and feel like you have to be forced with, you go out there and you need to be forced to one side of whatever coin, whatever mm-hmm. debate, whatever side. And it's like, hold on a minute. Like, put all that aside. What's your story? Who are you? What have been some of your life's biggest challenges and struggles? Have you overcome that? What are the values you carry? And what do you want to do with that? Like, why do you exist? Where do you want to take that? Who do you want to impact? And then you need to have a structure around it, right? You need a, a roadmap. Um with directions, you need people in place. And then the biggest thing I talk to people about is how are you going to self-sabotage, right? Because we all have like well, well laid out plans <laughs> and then we throw yeah. spikes in front of our own tires, right? So that's, that's yeah. what the program is in essence. Um, but, you know, in terms of social media, it's just about everybody, you know, owning who they are, being proud of it, being uh, willing to share some of their worst moments. It's the painted baby story. It's the, the yeah. subject behind my next book. I love the painted book. baby story. 
it, it's turned into so much more than I thought it, it ever would. Yeah. And, you know, my, my opinion on social media and, and just, just personally, um, is just don't put anything out there that you're not willing to be accountable for to the people you put it out there to. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, I don't have a whole lot more to say about it. Um, I, I, you know? I do want you to uh, just take a minute as far as the painted baby story <laughs> and give a quick synopsis. Of what that means to to anybody listening that doesn't understand it. Yes, and, and a lot of them will soon, so that the book will be out later this year. But we, in uh, 2008, it was after the Windsor tornado, uh, M&D painting. We were painting literally an entire street and uh, working on a job site one day. I'm off the job site 20 minutes away. My painter calls me. His name's Raul, and um, a gentleman from Mexico. Uh, English is his second language, and we'd kind of intermix and intermingle Spanish-English together. He'd play a joke on me about once a week. Hey, Mateo, I spilled the paint on the deck. Ha ha. And he, you know, he'd get me all riled up about yeah. something. Hey, job went bad. Or, hey, we're going to be late. We, we, you know, we're going to hang out on vacation today. Ha ha. So he literally plays a joke on me two days prior. He never did more than one a week. And my phone rings and then it keeps ringing, keeps ringing. And it's him just constantly calling me. Pick it up after the eighth call. I'm over in Fort Collins doing a bank deposit. I'm still doing everything in the business. And he is screaming, Mateo, come quick, come quick. I don't know what happened. Oh, my gosh. And and the, there's a woman screaming, right? So the homeowner of this home, she's screaming and baby crying. Raul's oh screaming. Well, what's happening? Yeah. I don't know. Say, I don't know. It's like, just come quick. I paint the baby. We paint the baby. He uh, had a paint sprayer, load these high-pressure, you know, 2,000 <laughs> yeah. PSI yeah. paint sprayers, getting ready to spray a door. And uh, the customer's standing there with her baby. She comes out every day, bringing the guy's food, drinks, you know, dressed up really nice, super sweet lady holding her nine-month-old baby. He goes to, you know, point the spray gun at the door, pull the trigger, and the little spray key, the spray tip was just off couple degrees yeah, and it blew up and we painted everything. We painted the, everything we weren't supposed to, including the woman and, and her baby. Yeah. So like we painted a baby. <laughs> the, the long story short of that is we, we corrected the problem. That was our worst yeah. moment, right? Like you can say you're an honest business that will take care of problems. And yeah. It's easy to say that when you have no problems, we had a really big problem right there. <laughs> a painted baby, a painted baby. Could have and a screaming baby. mom. Could have killed yeah. a baby. A really upset mom and we ruined and damaged property. So to, so, so we handled it. But I left that experience and I'm like, you know, we're not going to talk about that. So think about what if, what if the competition got their hands on that, right? Did you hear Emily? They almost killed a baby. You want to hire those guys, right? So this was like, we swept, we, we put it away. Like, we're not going to share that story. We want to be a plus five star, good, yeah. good reviews. And uh, I was forced three, four years later at a, a really big sales opportunity to share a story of a time that I screwed something up. Because I'm trying to hard close this guy as a previous customer and right. I'm pushing the contract across the table, like old school sales, you know, yeah. like the either yeah. or, which one would you like to go with? He's like, man, I, you know, this is great, but I need to hear about a time you screwed up. And he just kept pushing, just kept pushing. And uh, then I said, all right, man, you want to hear about it? We painted a baby and I shared the story and he signed the contract. Um, and from there, I went to explore, you know, why did that happen what did we do with that? We mm-hmm. marketed that story, you, right? You saw the bus mm-hmm. stops and bus yeah. benches and uh, we took it out there and um, it was a real shift in how we communicated and presented ourselves. It's it's vulnerability and bravery and storytelling to ultimately truly connect with, with other humans. Well, and I think if you haven't, you know, you haven't seen the bus benches or all, all of the marketing and stuff that's been through Northern Colorado, as far as the, the painting of the baby and, and Emily in general, then you must be driving around with your eyes closed. Just, yeah. you know, you used to be able to drive to the Harmony and, you know, what is, what is that? Uh, 
college, to, college. Yeah, you had all yeah, the bus students, benches yeah. and stuff out and, there. Yeah, and your your sign guy and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. I mean, if you haven't seen it, you're not paying attention. And we we actually painted Haley, so she was almost three years old. And when we decided, hey, so we're, we need a baby to paint, you know, yeah. uh, we're not going back to the house in Windsor. And then <laughs> no. Haley, so we we brought her out and we threw paint all over her. And I have the photo shoot. Like it was, we had yeah. some really cool cool images. So she's awesome. she's painted baby. Too. So yeah. cute too. Yeah. yeah, it was so cute, yeah. and she was adorable. Yeah. So, and speaking of your sign waiver, you had uh, the guy that used to always be up there on Harmony in college. Yes, Tim. right, yeah, Tim, yeah, right by McDonald's. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, it was always fascinating because <laughs> at that point in time, so this is going back 2008, 2009. So I was working yep. at Spradley Bar at the time, and I know that one of my managers went over and talked to him and tried to say, "How much are you being paid?" Will you uh, do a sign for us? And he's like, absolutely not. No, yeah. I only work for Matt. <laughs> we, we took really good care of him, and he and he was very, very loyal. He got approached oh, yeah. by all different kinds of people and companies that, that put all kinds of shiny, you know, put the carrot out there. And he's like, no, I'll, I'll you know, talk to Matt. Talk to Matt. Yeah. Well, I remember I was driving. I sent you a message on Facebook. Actually, I, I was driving through the intersection of um, right there by Dairy Queen and Walgreens here in Loveland, uh, thirty four in um, what is it, Lincoln, thirty four yep. in Lincoln. And I'm driving up and I'm seeing the sign guy. I'm like, dang, that guy's really good. I better call Matt and let him know that he's got to see if he can get this guy yes. to do the signs yeah. for him. And I was like. Oh, that is Tim. <laughs> it was, yeah, and we, we had brought, yeah. Yeah, kind of moved around. We actually, we expanded the business down to Broomfield and we had originally met him down oh, yeah. in Thornton Broomfield area and he was over at 120th and, and Sheridan. Uh, kind of a crazy thing. So in 2006, I, I've tried all kinds of marketing. You probably heard the, that eventual millionaire podcast, yeah. but uh, I did it as a dare. You know, there was Liberty Tax was doing it. Oh yeah. Statue of Liberty and high school kids working for home builders, you know, on the weekends. And yeah. I'm like, that's silly. Somebody go, that's silly. Go, ah, let's give it a try. And gave it a try, and the phone started ringing very consistently. And then we went out to do it, you know, a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. We got people very animated, very excited. And, uh, yeah, we met Tim, and uh, we decided to close down in, in Denver and, you know, consolidate back up here. And uh, he goes, hey, I'll move up here, and moved up moved up here. So yeah, nice. still here. Yeah, he's, he's, Still in Fort Collins. Yeah, mm-hmm. I kind of try to follow that <laughs> wow. one. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of cool. I mean, that's pretty so, neat. Uh, how long did he do that for you? Uh, it was a, it was about a decade, a little over a decade. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he has oh since uh, married, has a, has a child and yeah. it's one of those jobs that you can only do part time. You, you can't full time shake a sign. You know, like, like that's, that's yeah. a lot of work on, on the body. So he, he had to go find something that would, that would be able to meet him where he's at with life and be yeah. more full time yeah. and, be, and be more consistent. So, yeah. That's awesome. So. Well, I actually wanted to ask you, so this, the, the gentle art of leadership, is that a book that you put out or is that, are you doing that like with speaking? How are you, how are you pushing that out? So that is a leadership program that I'm, I'm writing and and developing. So that, that will eventually be a book I've, I'm working on number two right now, painted baby. And I've already talked a little bit with the, uh, the publishing company about three and four. So I've got a couple ideas, gentle art of leadership. It will, it will be a book. It's still developing. So as it's, as it's going it's it's kind of building and, and organically growing as i'm putting it out there that's nice. awesome i mean i would love to read it and then yeah. i i do have a follow-up question for that um what does if you could build the perfect leader what does that look like the perfect leader is um somebody that uh is is really truly in touch with themselves and who they are they're they're unique and authentic those are buzzwords right unique and authentic but somebody that that truly understands who they are why they exist where they've come from and they really own that story and they own who they are 
and they're going to lean a million percent into who, who they are. They're not going to try to be somebody that they're not. And, um, you know, I, I made a comment to somebody the other day, there's myths of leadership, right? That you need to run this huge organization with a thousand employees. It's like, no, if your story, um, inspires somebody at, at any degree to want more, be more, become more, to do more, you're a leader and you yeah. have, um, responsibility and an opportunity to, to pour into their life. And when you see that, realize that and understand how you can pull bits and pieces of your story and, and pour that into other people, that's, that's my definition of a leader. I think that's an ideal leader. Um, and then when you can plug into a company, right, you're given a company 40, 50, 60, who knows how many hours a week when you yeah. can be in an environment where that can be developed and that kind of thing allows you to thrive. That's when a company just explodes and, and it totally will grow and has grown past past me and the leader that started the company. I mean I think that would be yeah. a good goal. Yeah. You know, is that it does grow past you. Yeah and, and you know business owners uh, for anyone listening like get out of your own way. <laughs> just just get get out of your own way. If you want to oh, go ahead. Sorry. I have a, a guy uh, Matt Worley works for us and he's like Matt can I respectfully tell you he says GTFO he's like you need to get out of here. You know you know what that means. <laughs> yeah, I'm not yeah, going to say yeah. it but he goes yeah. no but, but like I love you. You need to leave now. You are inhibiting this this meeting, this idea, this initiative from going forward. And you know, back in the day, I get a little offended. What do you mean you don't need me? I'm the I'm the reason this thing exists. It's like you started it, Matt. Like I started it, but like they've kicked me out of the lot lately. And I and I love that. I love that they can tell me that, and I love that they see that. And, and I'm letting them run with it. You so, just go make coffee, Matt. I, I do. Like, I literally <laughs> go and drink coffee all day, uh, do some jujitsu. You know, te- teach the kids. Uh, I do. I, I meet with people and uh, you know producing just taking all these ideas and just getting them out there right now is what I'm super excited to do. It's pretty cool. That's awesome. Any any last words of advice for someone who's just starting out or somebody who has been in business uh, for years and is struggling and you know again we keep on going back to what has transpired over the last 2 years there's an awful lot of people that lost everything and if they're starting from that point again Yep. Any last, you know, words of advice for them? I, I've been there when I've had nothing and less than nothing and you get kicked in, you know, kicked in the gut, right? Literally, figuratively, and you're down and out. Um, if you're like, you know what? It can't get any worse. Okay. Well, then it can't get any worse. It can only get better. Like if you're the worst place you're, you're going to be, people have gotten just, just whoopings these last couple of years. Yeah. And it's like, all right, well then go, go from there. Dust, dust off that story. And there's, there's value in there that you can, that you can bring to people and, and, and just go for it. You know, I hear people all the time, well, it can't get any worse. Well then stop complaining and like get to work. If it, if it can't get any worse, it can only get better. Um, I like the old adage of, uh, Rock bottom's a very good, stable foundation. It is, and a lot of people want to stay there. It's very comfortable, and it's warm, and it's cozy, and the mud, and the dirt, and the crap. It feels really good, and you can get you know just sucked into it like oh, yeah. like quicksand. And um, when when you get there, when you get stuck in that, um, it, it takes you know you've got it. You've got to like snap out of it and just find a way to change your your state and your approach to things. Um, another thing I'd add for somebody just getting started is like, don't, don't watch the news. Don't pay too much attention to social media. Mm-hmm. I had somebody the other day, um, you know, I'm 20 years in on, on the business thing and, and he, this guy's killing it in business. And I said, great, great job. Amazing year. He goes, yeah, but it's not, it's not where you are. And I'm like, shut up. That's the Th- stupidest yeah. thing you can say right now. Don't worry about what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, worry about what you're doing. Were you better in 2021 than 2020? Well, yeah, we grew 30%. Well, then don't worry about what I'm doing. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that I inspire you, but don't compare yourself to other people. And um, 
things don't happen overnight. You know, Pirate Patch, that took 10 years to be profitable. We did not take a profit or a distribution from that for 10 years. 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. Any, anything really worthwhile. It's, it's a decade. Um, and, and it's, uh, we live in a short-sighted world and uh, we get distracted and it's very easy to give up, get comfortable and just go back to our cozy little spot and, um, blame everybody and everything else as to why it didn't work out. It's true. Yeah. Matt, thank you for coming on. I greatly appreciate it. And this is one of the things that we're going to be doing throughout the year is having people like yourself on to get away from the politics for a minute and just enjoy the inspiration and the enjoy life and the journey that it is and what, what it is that you can accomplish, especially when you just kind of put your nose to the grindstone. Yeah. No, I thank you. Thank you for having me on and, yeah. and chatting. Yeah. Yeah. It's Thanks for, for not pleasure. sharing any dirt from <laughs> middle school <laughs> and high school. Absolutely we don't, not. and we don't have any time left. I know you're getting ready too, but I think, I think we're out of time. No, I, I, uh, I, I don't want to <laughs> we, share. We do things. have one thing left and you're going to be sticking around for it. So normally okay. we do beer of the week, yeah. but this week we have brew of the week. And part of the reason why we have brew of the week is you brought a Spanish coffee. And I, I want did. you to dive in a little bit more into Cafe Seville. Yes. So the the long story short is uh, Cafe Seville. It's a free Civi. coffee bar. At our, Civi, at our, my apologies. No, no, it's okay. So <laughs> Seville, where's the city in Spain? Uh, it's Seville, the city of yeah, Seville. It's yeah. my favorite place in the world. I've got the big tattoo on my arm. Just I, I love that place. It's Sevilla in Spanish. So um, going to Spain, I'd always love to bring back some souvenirs, get a couple bags of coffee, oh, yeah. know, bring it home, drink it. Friend comes over. What is that? Oh, it's coffee from Spain, Spanish coffee. They tried, oh, can you bring me some next time? So I literally, up up to COVID, I was bringing back suitcases and, and you know, bringing over like hundreds of pounds. You, I've dropped some off to you. Yeah, sure. Several times, yeah. <laughs> Buying the boilers on Amazon and it got yeah. obviously costly and um, wasn't uh, cost effective to ship it over. So COVID shut everything down, wasn't able to get coffee, wasn't able to get boilers, wasn't able to go to Spain. And I'm looking at the, the beans one day. I'm like, they, they don't grow coffee beans in Spain. This is probably from Kenya. I know a guy from Kenya. His family has a Kenyan coffee farm. We started talking. He brought me a sample. All of a sudden, we went from, I guess, importing it to like directly, you know, the, the beans are still coming from Kenya, but we literally have branded our own beans, our own boilers, and, and it's not a coffee shop. We literally have an espresso machine in our office. It's a private business office, and we invite people out to share a little bit of Spanish culture and coffee, and um, never wanted to sell coffee, never wanted it to be a business. People <laughs> wanted to start purchasing it. Uh, Jeff, Jeff was in, right? Jeff Fisher yeah. was in. He came in to meet the team, had coffee, and he goes, well, I want to pay for this somehow. And I'm like, I guess you can throw a tip in the, in the cup right there. And he throws some money in there. And I said, wait, we can donate all of this money. We started a scholarship at CSU. Oh, that's awesome. Study abroad scholarship. We sent 14 students to Spain. So basically the that's Cafe awesome. Sevilla exists to show love to others by sharing Spanish coffee with them. And, um, you know, a tip, we, you know, you don't ever need to pay for anything, but if you want to show a little love, you can donate directly to CSU to the scholarship. So it's that idea of, right, like, let's put the, the, the sides, like, what side are you on? No, let's have some coffee. Let's talk about life. Let's yeah. elevate each other, make our lives better. And if you like the coffee, you can send a student to Spain. And like that experience, it changed my life, literally cups of coffee with people. Some yeah. of my best friends over there, uh, you know, you, you can throw a hundred dollars into that scholarship and it kicks off money. It's a permanent endowment. It kicks off money forever, like past when I die. So it's, awesome. it's, it's a big thing. Yeah. And the so, coffee's amazing. I was right? going like, to say, no, yeah. one, no one has said the coffee sucks. <laughs> Nobody has had it and go, oh, this is not good. No, if they did, they were wrong. So, <laughs> so they're wrong. That's right. So we'll tell, us a, tell us about the coffee itself. The flavor. What are you looking for when you make this cup of coffee? So in, in Spain, um, and I've, I've caught flack from 
super coffee connoisseurs. They go, there's no such thing as Spanish coffee. So what Spanish coffee means is when I was in Spain, you don't have like drip American coffee that's mm-hmm. watered down. You order cafe con leche, means coffee with milk, right? Cortado is like a, is, is two ounces of espresso, two ounces of milk. Cafe con leche is like two to three ounces of espresso with three to four ounces. So it's like shorter than a latte, taller than a cortado. Yeah. It's, it's a rich, bold, smooth espresso. Kenya, I think, has the best coffee in, in the world, taste-wise. Uh, it's not overly roasted. It's not bitter. It's just a nice, smooth, medium roast. You get yeah. a, like a shot, couple shots, some steamed whole milk, and, and that's that's what it is. Like that's what I what I enjoy every day. So, yeah, the beans are from Kenya. We've uh, branded them and you know packaged them into Cafe Sevilla coffee. I'm going to have to come up and get some because I guys have to, yeah, you have <laughs> well, to come out. You got to come to the building and, and come hang out. Yeah, it, two things. Um, so right, I think it was what, maybe three or four months, three or four months into the pandemic that you dropped off some at the house. Yes, because you were sending them out to police and nurses. Everybody, and everybody. yeah, I was just dropping the coffee everywhere. Well, what I would do is I would make pretty significant you know i had the little moki pot actually that you brought me mm-hmm. years yeah. ago yeah. um and i would i would brew enough that i would have basically a coffee cup full of that and i would have this container oh. of half and half and i would take it to work that's bad for you you're not supposed to that's why a didn't you the coffee. whole thing that's still a lot of coffee i gave it to my colleagues <laughs> and we called it crack <laughs> i was it, like it you is. guys really yeah. need some actual coffee here's some real coffee and and i i was like the office everybody loved me i'd bring it in and be like hey yeah, it's good stuff. Any, anybody that wants it, I mean, it's uh, yeah. yeah. We're, we've got hundreds of pounds. I think we did a couple hundred pounds of it last year. Just just having fun, sharing coffee with yeah. people, and we're looking to uh, bring a lot more in this year. Uh, but it's pretty cool that we can we can come up and and grab some or have have a cup of coffee with you and and yes. help support that foundation. Absolutely, yeah, yeah that's the student, huge. The student, the stories of the students that have come back that have had those experiences, it's really cool to see. So I mean, and, and the pandemic slowed that down, uh, but they they've banked quite a bit of money that they're getting ready to give out on this this next round. They're thinking nice. things are going to open up. So yeah, that's awesome. That's amazing. I love it. Awesome. Well. Um, I know one thing that we didn't really touch on, but if you want to speak to it for just a brief moment, is your jujitsu gym. That you, yeah. So if you want to give location, and if anybody's looking to get into jujitsu, mm-hmm. totally. they should talk to you. Absolutely. Yeah. We uh, so jujitsu's been a part of my life now for fifteen years. Because right? our, our kiddos were were training together. Well, back and you in the were day. training that's, my son for a while. Training, yeah, yeah. training your son, yeah. and that's how we got kind of reconnected after yeah. after high school. But um, so the so our building it's located at, at fifteen forty two Taurus Court. So we're right off of Eisenhower in Boise. Uh, purchased that building right before COVID, <laughs> right before the <laughs> pandemic. We moved all of the companies there and literally had launched a gym. Right, we're getting ready to move into this big new building. Uh, right before they said oh, you, yeah. you can't do a gym right now or anymore in the foreseeable future and. And, um, you know, we shifted, we, we did some pivoting and made, you know, made some decisions and, and things have really grown. But, uh, yeah, so NOCO or Northern Colorado Jiu-Jitsu, we exist to improve and protect the lives of others in the community. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, I've got a passion for kids. Um, what I say to the kids is you guys will never go through what I went through growing up, or I'm at least going to give you the tools to know how to deal with it. Because, um, you know, when you face adversity and you don't have tools to handle it, you're going to default typically to, to not good things to, to handle it. And that's where a lot of, a lot of bad stuff can happen. So, uh, pouring into the kids, I used to compete a lot. I blew my back out, but, um, it's been a, been a long journey. I received my black belt in, uh, August of 2020. 
Oh, wow. And that, and that takes some work. Like that, right. that was 13 years. You have to say point. years and years, not some work, a lot of work. A lot of work. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's such a cool art, right? It's, um, you know, it's how can a hundred pound woman, uh, defend themselves against a 200 pound man with yeah. leverage and technique. And, and, you know, it's not, it's not about force. And, um, it, uh, teaches you. So gentle art of leadership really aligns with jujitsu, right? Like you, you're under so much pressure. Jujitsu, somebody's putting mental, physical, psychological pressure. If you want it to stop, you can tap out. And it'll stop. And it just allows yeah. you to continue to push yourself little by little and, and just be able to handle more pressure. I mean, we've seen, right? Like my, my son. Oh, yeah. That kid's good. No one, no one's going to mess with him. I got attacked in San Francisco by a homeless person. He came up and he punched me. Hmm. Like we're literally walking down the street. He didn't come. He, he, like no boundaries, right? He comes up, punches me. And I swing back, you know, and I kind of square up on him. And I uh, swung back. I returned favor. And I look over and Riley's just squared up right next to me. He's 13. He's like, all right, dad. He's like, what do you want to do? He's like, you want to go first or me? Just the the, <laughs> yeah. the, the confidence that it's instilled, yeah. right? You talk about, you know, you talk about both of your kids have trained. Um, I didn't have that growing up. No, it's neither, such a neither, cool neither thing. Yeah. Um, and then adult, there's uh, women's that have gone, uh, women that have gone through abuse. Um, you know, law enforcement, they need to, um, you, know, you get into a fight with somebody. Um, you need to know how to end the threat, and then once the threat's ended, you you can stop. Um, it's it's a, it's a great thing to have. It's a great skill to have, and I find law enforcement that is uh, that is trained in that um, they come home safer, and the people that are fighting with them that that get detained and arrested they go home safer um, because you can you can scale up, scale down very quickly with with that. Oh yeah. Well, I would say that the, the interesting thing about jujitsu is that is, you know, you, it's like exerting just a little more pressure each time, but each time as you're training these kids, even, even as adults, you're yeah. exerting that pressure on them each time, but they still have to work through that whole situation in their head, how to go from step, you know, A to step Z and then get out of that. Yes. It, it was really good for my, my son, especially, I mean, he still trains. He doesn't yep. train with you, but he needs to come up and see you. It'd be cool to see him. Yeah. yeah it's been, it's been a while. Yeah. He's, he's, he's taller than me now, right? That's my, my son, yes. his his foot's bigger than mine. Now, oh yeah, officially. Yeah. Oh yeah. Good luck with that, because boy, they're expensive shoes. Yes. But it's interesting because then you know I've I've said to people that struggle with their, their boys or even their girls, but a lot of times those boys that have that that energy that's just a hot mess, right? And you get them on that mat and you get to work through it with somebody who's been there. Yeah, and then you you'll know? you'll see them focus. I mean, you'll see un, unfocused kids focused. You'll see yep. shy kids come out of their shell. It's really interesting. Very introverted. Cool. Very yeah. in their own head. Methodical. Uh, pragmatic people do really well at, at jujitsu. So it's been, I mean, it, it's made my life a lot better. I, I, I'd probably be in prison <laughs> if it wasn't for jujitsu, like just, just with what I grew up with and just what I've experienced, like it's wow. calmed me down so much. It's time to bring out the dirt now. No. <laughs> bring, 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 yeah, all right. right. Yeah. All right. All right. Before we we're, get we're into that. Time. Um, commercial break. Commercial break. <laughs> <laughs> so I will give you a quick opportunity. How can people Reach out to you, How whether it's Emini painting, Emini roofing, whether it's jujitsu, where should yep. people go? The, the best hub is mattshaup.com. Everything's there. Perfect. Yeah. Spell your last name. S-H-O-U-P. So it looks like shout with a P. Perfect. Matt with two T's. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you never know. Awesome. So mattshaup.com. So Matt, thank you again for being on. This was fantastic. I've enjoyed just even your daily inspiration. And, oh, thanks. And yeah, those are on Instagram. So those are, those are, yeah. I feel like doing those every morning. Morning coffee. Those are awesome. Matt. I love thank them you. every time thanks. I've seen one. Yeah. So it's, it's been great. Thank you for having me, guys. Mm-hmm. Sweet. All right. Well, this is going to be the end of this episode, but we will see you back here next week. And we have, we've got some 
some cool guests that are coming up and it's going to be it's going to be interesting uh the next few weeks so well as always i'm your native alex johnson and i'm your transplant jen bryant we'll see you next week take care